a sermon series that deal with the matter of church membership. The reasons we are covering membership is twofold. We have been abundantly blessed by the Lord our God to have a number of people who are new to our congregation. And we've been able to see new faces even in the midst of a pandemic. And so we are thankful to God for adding to our church. And it is our desire to make sure that we are all on the same page regarding the priority of church membership. Secondly, we want to deal with some issues surrounding membership because we simply need to get our own house in order. Some of us need to be reminded of our covenant that we've made to one another, and others need to be encouraged to continue being faithful to our obligations. Now, as we begin, to this morning's sermon is unique to how we normally uh, study God's Word together. Normally, we preach expositionally, meaning we take a passage of Scripture, we explain it, we understand it, and then we apply it. That particular text sets the agenda. This morning, we're going to do something a little different, and we're going to have a topical message on church membership. Now, as we get started, it's important that we clarify our terms. When we use the term member in the context of the church, uh, it has a different meaning than what we would normally think of when we hear the word member or membership. In these contexts of something like a fitness club or a country club, it's a transactional relationship. You pay for services uh, and products that you desire. It is consumer-oriented. With church membership, it's completely different. To be a member of the body, the local church, is to say that I'm not just a consumer, but I am a viable contributor to the healthy functioning of this body. It's about contribution, not consumption. So then, how do we define church membership? Here's a stab at a definition. Church membership is a covenant relationship between a church and a disciple whereby the disciple submits to living his or her discipleship in the care of a particular church. It's a covenant relationship. Let, let's review quickly what a covenant is. A covenant is a formal agreement or a binding promise whereby one or both parties solemnly pledge to bless or serve one another in some specified way. We, we must remember that in the Old Testament, when they, I, I 
translations say, and they made a covenant. The literal translation from the Hebrew is they actually would cut a covenant. What, and what they would do is they would take some animal, cut the animal in two, place it on opposite uh, uh, facing each other, and then the two covenanting parties would walk between each half of the animal, symbolizing that what would happen to either party who broke that covenant. See, covenants were meant to be enduring, binding. Covenant membership is a deep commitment to a local church. When a person agrees to become a member of a local church, the church and the, mem the member each affirm and make a commitment to one another. Here's how so. The church says, we recognize your profession of faith, baptism, and discipleship to Christ as valid. Therefore, we publicly affirm and acknowledge you as belonging to Christ and the oversight of our fellowship. The disciple says to the church body, insofar as I recognize you as a faithful, gospel-declaring church, I submit my presence and my discipleship to your love and oversight. Now, now, whenever pastors like myself preach a message on the topic of church membership, the immediate question is, is church membership biblical? Thank you, thank you very much. I believe that to be a fair question. In the Bible, let me make it very clear. In the Bible, church membership is not commanded or defended explicitly. The reason being is because in the Bible, church membership is assumed. It was a normal part of the culture. Just because something is assumed, church, does not mean, mean it is unbiblical. Let me prove it to you. Nowhere in scripture is, is there a defense for the existence of God. He is just assumed. The Bible opens with these words, in the beginning, God. <laughs> it's just assumed. The Trinity as a doctrine is never defended in scripture. But we see in scripture the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And watch this. You can't be a Christian without believing in the Trinity. Amen. Amen. Take away the Trinity and it all falls apart. Amen. But yet it's not defended, it's assumed. Therefore, my conclusion is that the New Testament gives ample evidence for the priority of church membership. And so the first part of this sermon, I simply want to show you how church member is implied in the New Testament. Let's get to work. Look, let's look together, first of all, at the reasons for church membership. The reasons for church membership. The first reason why I believe in church membership, or we believe in church membership, is the endorsement of a Christian's profession of faith. 
The endorsement of a Christian's profession of faith. By endorsement, I mean an affirmation of one's faith. To affirm something is to express confidence that something is valid or true. It is to publicly show one's support of something. So we believe that the local church can affirm and should affirm every believer's profession of faith. Now, the question that normally follows a statement like that is, does the local church really have that right or authority to affirm one's faith? Y'all asking good questions this morning. Let me make a case for it. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. And, and this, is, this is for free. I feel like somebody in this room, in the evangelical church at large, needs to be reminded that our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, y'all still don't believe me. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. Amen. And why do I emphasize that? Because many of us in the church are better Americans than we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our first allegiance is to our Lord Jesus Christ. Our home country is heaven. So then that means we are immigrants, sojourners, missionaries, and ambassadors to this place called earth. Every local church then under the lordship of Christ is an embassy. Let's review what an embassy is. An embassy is a base for a nation's diplomatic mission abroad. The purpose of an embassy is to represent one nation inside of another nation. The purpose of the, the embassy is to represent the home nation inside of a foreign nation. The, the embassy exists to advance the interests of the home nation and to serve and protect its citizens. The church then, as an embassy of the kingdom of heaven, represents heaven here on earth. And just like an embassy exists, to advance the interest of the home country, the church exists to advance the interest and the mission of the kingdom of heaven. And we do that as we are being faithful to the great commission which says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the earth. We advance the interest of the kingdom, not just by making disciples, but also by being faithful citizens of the kingdom of heaven here in our host nation. We are to give the world a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven when it shall come in all of its fullness. Now, one of the services provided by an embassy is to affirm the citizenship of citizens when they are in a foreign nation. 
If a citizen's passport is lost, stolen, or expires while that citizen is in a foreign nation, that citizen can go to its embassy, have its citizenship affirmed, and receive a new passport. In like manner, the local church as an embassy of the kingdom of heaven has the authority to affirm the citizenship of its citizens of the kingdom of heaven. All right, y'all ain't buying it. Do we actually see this in scripture? I bet we do. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The disciples, and by way of succession, the church has been given the keys. We have received the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You only receive a key if you have authority and permission by the owner to do something with it. So like an earthly embassy, the church has been given the authority, the keys, for what purpose? Jesus says here, to bind and to loose. What in the world does that mean, preacher? I'm glad you asked. Y'all are asking some good questions this morning. Y'all making me happy. To bind and to loose was a, a phrasing used to mean to what is permitted and what is forbidden. What are they permitting and forbidden? Context is key. Anytime you take the text out of context, all you have left is a What's the context? Let's back up to in Matthew chapter 16 and go to verse 13. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some said John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in the very next verse, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but your Father who is in heaven. It is the confession of Peter that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what is blessed. We see this again, this confession or the authority to, 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 to affirm a person's confession of faith in Christ. Again, in John chapter 20, verse 23, we just saw this last week. It was in our Easter sermon. Jesus says to his disciples, after he said, receive the Holy Spirit, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Here in John 20, verse 23, we see clearly again that Jesus gives authority to his disciples to pronounce a state of forgiveness of sins to certain people or pronounce a state of unforgiveness based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. So then what am I arguing? The local church 
in succession to the original disciples has the authority to affirm a person's profession of faith and then provide protection to them. And I'm convinced that for this very reason, every Christian should be a member of a local church where their faith can be endorsed, affirmed, and protected. How do we do that here at the Bridge Church? Well, a couple of elders, shepherds, will interview every member candidate. In that interview, we are trying to ascertain if there is evidence that a person is a true believer. We do that first by making sure they have a clear understanding of the gospel. And then we'll ask about questions about how Christ has worked in their life since they became a believer. We confirm that they've been baptized. And if not, we set in a process in motion to get them baptized. So, the reasons for church membership first, the endorsement of a Christian's profession of faith. It's the church exercising its authority, the keys of the kingdom. Secondly, I think we should uh, have a high view of church membership because of the existence of church government. The existence of church government. God has ordained the church to be governed overseen and led by certain individuals. And these individuals are called elders and pastors. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 reads, And he, that's Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The responsibility of elders is found in several places in the New Testament. But I want to highlight one verse this morning. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul exhorts the elders of the church in Ephesus to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul tells elders in Ephesus that their responsibility is to guard the flock and to care for it. To guard the flock means to protect it from danger, wolves, false doctrine, and what have you. But when the ESV says to care for the church, it should actually be better translated to shepherd the church. So elders guard the flock and they shepherd the flock. Question for the audience. Y'all real good this morning. Who was the flock that these Ephesian elders were responsible for? Was it the church in Thessalonica? No. Was it the church in Jerusalem? No. Was it the church in Philippi? No. They were responsible for the church in Ephesus. Here's my point, that elders are responsible for a specific local church. Elders of every local church are responsible for the members of their local church. How then do modern day elders know who they are responsible for protecting and shepherding? 
Is it any person that walks through the doors of a local church? Do you become a part of the flock after you've attended twice? Five times? Ten times? I think the only logical conclusion is that there must be some formal means, church membership, whereby a Christian covenants to submit to the shepherding of particular elders. Third reason for church membership. The exercise of church discipline. Y'all got another really good question. Y'all like preacher. Is church discipline really a reason to join a church? Yeah. Here's what you have to understand. Church discipline is for our good. Church discipline has been given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ for the purposes of our sanctification. Church discipline exists not to be punitive or just punish people, but it's meant to be restorative. Church discipline exists to bring you back into fellowship with the body of Christ when you are engaged in blatant, unrepentant sin. You must understand that church discipline is always for repentance and restoration. Let's look at the process that our Lord uh, laid out for us in Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Sometimes I feel like we've ripped this page out of our Bible because we don't do this very well in the church. Jesus has made it very clear that the process that when someone sins against you, you go and tell them. And what we like to do in the church is we get offended and rather than going and tell them, we go to another church. Or we go and tell the pastor. And so where I've gotten to the point is when people come and tell me something that somebody upset them about, my first question is, well, have you talked to them? And it's not me trying to shirk my responsibility as a leader. It's me trying to be faithful to what the Lord has said. If somebody sins against you, Jesus said, you go and tell them. What if they don't repent? Jesus says, well, now you go back to them, but take two or three with you as witnesses. And y'all together try to get that person to repent of their sin. What if they still don't repent? Now you bring it to the church. 
you would first bring it before the elders. The elders would affirm that there is an issue. And then if that person is still, if they've been unrepentant and we feel like this is a legitimate church discipline issue, then we would have to call a members meeting and make that sin and that person known to the church body. Now, this is not simply just to put somebody on blast. The responsibility of the church when they know of that is to pray for that person. And when they interact with that person, they, they shouldn't just be uh, 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 shooting the breeze. No, you're calling that person back into repentance. You're confronting them with their sin and calling them to repentance. That's the purpose of telling it to the church. For the church as a body to go towards this unrepentant brother or sister and call them back into fellowship. Now, we've told it to the church. The church has done their responsibility. Some time has passed. The person is still unrepentant. What does Jesus tell us to do? This is what we don't like. He says, uh, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Since they're behaving like a, a pagan and an unbeliever, treat them like that. And so if that person is a member, they now become, they're taken off the membership role. What should that person do? Can that person still come to service on Sunday morning when they've been put out the church? Yes. What does a sinner need more than anything? The gospel. And so we want them to hear the gospel. But there needs to be, Jesus has said, I want you to discipline them when they're in blatant, unrepentant, habitual sin. Yeah, treat them like they're behaving. So then we would... Uh, you know, make it known to the church and we would also withhold communion because they are no longer a covenant member. We can no longer affirm that person's profession of faith. Now, let me make something very clear. We're not saying that person is not a believer. What we're saying is they're not acting like one and so we don't know. So notice that when we just read these verses, Jesus has put this process in place. And he says, if you gain your brother, hallelujah. That's the goal, to gain them back into right relationship and fellowship with God in the body of Christ. Church discipline exists so that when we are so entrenched in our own sin that other brothers so that other brothers and sisters will lovingly and gently expose our sin to us and call us to repent question does the bridge church have the right to discipline every christian in wichita no we only can discipline those under our care and so our practice at the Bridge Church is we believe that we only have authority to discipline those who have formally committed to our oversight and care. Membership is an open-handed invitation to say, when I'm out of line, deal with me. 
And Christ has put this for your good, your sanctification, the purity of the church, and ultimately for the glory of God. All right, those are a few reasons for church membership. What then are the requirements for church membership? First of all, you have to be a believer. We believe in regenerate membership. In other words, we believe that only believers can be uh, a member of a local church. Remember, the word member refers to being a member of the body. Here are our members. We are members of the body. The church is the body. Christ is the head. You can't have a body without a head. Who is the head of the church body? Jesus Christ. So if you're not united to Christ, the head, then you cannot be united to his body. Therefore, you must first be a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a member of a local church. Now, we, not only can we come to this conclusion based on the metaphor of the body, but we can also come to this conclusion based off the pattern that's been set forth in Scripture. When we go back to the early church, the book of Acts, here's the pattern, the process. The gospel is proclaimed. Unbelievers are converted and baptized, and then they are added to the church. We see that over and over again in the book of Acts. That's the process. The gospel is proclaimed. Unbelievers are converted and baptized, and then they are added to the church. Now, they need to be a believer. As I just said, the second thing is they must be baptized. There's a clear order in Scripture. Why should a person be baptized to be a member of a church? Let me be clear, first of all, that baptism does not save a person. Amen. I don't want y'all leaving here saying that pastor ain't gospel-centered. The devil is a liar. It is by grace that we are saved by faith. Amen. And as soon as you add something to grace, it's no longer grace. If you say that a person has to, in order for a person to be saved, they have to believe and be baptized, it's no longer grace. And you've made the Bible a liar. We are saved by grace. But guess what saved people do? They get baptized. Why? Because that's what our Lord has said to do. Baptism should be the first act of obedience for a new believer. I just told you about the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. How? Baptizing them. Baptism is us going public with our faith. Baptism is our coming out party. Everybody else coming out, we are too. <laughs> Baptism is us saying publicly, I'm on the Lord's team now. I'm making a clear break with the world and the old self and the ways of the world. I'm with Jesus now. That's what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes our identification with Christ because as we stand there in the waters of baptism, we are standing there in union and symbolic of dying on the cross with Christ. 
And then we go down into the water. We're saying we, we're united with him and that we've been buried with Christ. The old man has died and has been put away. He's now in the grave. But guess what? I can't keep him in the water. Uh-uh, I'm not drowning, y'all. Because what? Christ didn't stay in the grave. Right early Sunday morning, he got up. And so now we come up as new in Christ Jesus. And so that's what baptism symbolizes. And in Scripture, faith and baptism were so tethered together that it, they happened almost simultaneously or immediately, should I say. So we're baptized because we are identifying with Christ, but we're also baptized because we're identifying with, church, with the church. We're saying, I'm part now of the body of Christ. Those are the two requirements for church membership. Now, let's talk now thoroughly about the responsibilities of church membership. Now, this loss is not this loss. This list is not exhaustive. Okay? But I do want to highlight a few responsibilities. Number one, gather regularly. Gather regularly. Regularly, Church, listen. A church that does not gather is not a church by definition. The Greek word for church, ekklesia, in the Bible literally means assembly. The church, to be true to itself, must assemble. It must gather. And we see this clearly laid out for us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here it is, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Gathering matters. And I, and I think I have to especially say that in 2021, when, when church seems optional for a lot of Christians these days, we'll miss church for anything now. It is no longer a priority. And friends, that's unbiblical. If you go back, Hebrews chapter 10, if you go back to verse 23, they, it says, and hold fast to your confession and don't waver. The idea is that of perseverance in the faith. One of the ways we are nourished in order to persevere in the faith, context matters, verse 24 and 25 is by gathering regularly. Show me a Christian that is not persevering and that's on the verge of giving up on their faith, I would probably likely show you someone who does not gather regularly with the body of Christ. Wow. Wow. I, we, it should not be the case that I never know who's going to be here on Sunday morning. It's like y'all got a bond together where you're like, I got the first and third, you take the second and fourth. <laughs> what do they do to that? The bridge. <laughs> we ought to gather 
particularly, it, it, God has given this to us for our good. And when we gather, we, we encourage one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's in Ephesians 5. But then he says here, we stir up one another to good works and we encourage one another. And let me tell you something. When you are feeling discouraged, that's actually when you need to lean into community. Now, I got to qualify everything that I just said, because guess what? We're in a pandemic, and we've, there's been times where we've made the decision as elders not to gather as the body of Christ for reasons that we've told you to love our neighbors as ourselves, to honor and respect the governing authorities, and we thought it was prudent and wise to do so. So how can you be so convicted about gathering and then say, we ain't meeting? Seems contradictory, don't it? Well, let me just tell you my personal convictions on this. I believe that we have been providentially hindered from gathering because of this pandemic. And I don't believe not gathering because of this pandemic to be sin. I don't believe that the people behind that camera are sinning because they are not gathering because of this pandemic. I think it's similar to someone standing home when they have some contagious illness, like the flu. That sick person stays at home not only for the purposes of getting well, but also to keep from spreading the illness to others. Why? Because we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Remember, Jesus said that it's... It's a part of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like into it. Love your neighbors as yourselves. And what I share with a, another brother and sister in Christ is they, they pulled out Hebrews 10 to me saying, we're not supposed to neglect the meeting of one another. I said, you're right. But there, Jesus did seem to give us like there's a priority when it comes to his commands. And loving your neighbor should be a high priority. And so I believe God's hand has providentially hindered us at times from gathering together. All right. I think what's prohibited in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, is not gathering out of a lack of concern, laziness, selfishness, and the like. That's who that's for. All right. Next, what's our next responsibility as church members? We gather regularly, but we also have a responsibility to, to submit to leadership. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Here it is, it's on the screen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The author of Hebrews tells his readers that they have a duty to obey and submit to their leaders. Notice that those Christians are not required to submit to all spiritual leaders, but your leaders, who will then give an account for their soul. That pronoun, your, is possessive. So what it implies is that every Christian is a part of a local church and that every Christian being part of a local church should then submit to leaders. Beloved, Hebrews 13, 17 is a command. 
Obey and submit. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a good idea. It's a command to be obeyed. How then do you carry out this command of obeying and submitting to your leaders? Am I your leader? We're convinced at the Bridge Church that those who actually are members are those who can say, I, we are their leaders. All right. Next one. This is where y'all really finna get quiet. Set third responsibility of members. Support with finances. Okay. The Bible makes it clear that the church has responsibilities which takes money to carry out. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul tells the church, take up a collection on the first day of every week so that it can be distributed to other believers who have financial need. We call that benevolence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle Paul says the local church should support their leaders financially. So paying staff is biblical. In 3 John, verses 7 and 8, John says that we ought to support missionaries. Every church has different needs and expenses, and the giving of the membership allows the church to operate. That's all right. I've got two whole sermons for it over the next two weeks. What's another responsibility of church members? Serve the body. Romans chapter 12. And I'm just going to read. We're going to read together verses 3 through 13. Boom. For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in, here it is, one body we have many members, and the, the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. But Yeah, keep it up there. Let me just say this. Whatever church you belong to, you are vital to the health of that church. The text says we are members of one another. Man, no wonder sometimes I feel handicapped. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Notice that he's went from members to now connecting that to serving. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You have been given spiritual gifts for what purpose? To serve the body of Christ. You know, a lot of times we get up in arms and we get in debates and arguments about gifts like speaking in tongues. All right, and I'm not going to argue a case for or against speaking in tongues, but guess why God gives us speaking in tongues? It is never for to be a private language. 
Look, read the Bible. Read the Bible. In the Bible, it says those kinds of gifts are what? For the edification of the church. That's why there has to be an interpreter, because if I don't know what you're saying, you're not edifying me. Keep going. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Look, do y'all see that? One another, one another, one another. It's part of being a part of a body. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I love God's word. Here it is. Tying it to membership again. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Clearly, membership matters because this is how we serve the body of Christ. Let's get out of here. What are we to take away from today's sermon? There may be someone here who is not a part of the church at all because you haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Friend, today do not harden your heart. Turn to Christ for forgiveness of sins. He stands ready to forgive you no matter how dark your past may be, no matter what you've done. No, Christ can forgive your sin. There is, you cannot out the grace and mercy of God. And so because you are sinning, you deserve God's eternal wrath, his just wrath. But God has loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die the death that you were not even fit to die. So that you could be forgiven. That same Jesus was buried, but rose on the third day with all power in his hands. And the promise that we have is that whoever believes will have eternal life. And so somebody here, the response for you is, you need to become a member of the church universal by first remembering, by first trusting in Jesus Christ. Secondly, somebody, if you are a church member, I think one of the things that we need to take away from this is we need to take our covenant seriously. It's a promise, a formal binding agreement. As believers, we are to keep our word. So if you are a member of the Bridge Church or another church, you have made promises to other members of the body. You need to keep your promises and fulfill the expectations of your membership covenant. So maybe today somebody here needs to renew their commitment to their covenant. If you are a member here and there are parts of the covenant that you are unable to fulfill at this time, talk to us. Let us love you, pray for you, care for you, help you. But thirdly, you need to remember that every covenant has consequences. In Deuteronomy, there are blessings and curses. Because of the covenant. The Bible is explicit that it is the prerogative of the church to discipline those who make up its membership. As elders, we have been long suffering when it comes to our membership because we try to lead by grace and not by law. 
However, our concern is that our grace could be mistaken as a license to do as you please and carry out the comfortable, easy parts of your covenant and disregard the obligations that are more demanding and uncomfortable. And so we as elders will carry out our responsibility to be faithful to holding you accountable to your covenant. We do this out of love for you and obedience to our shepherd, the chief shepherd. Finally, if you are a regular attender and not a church member, my question to you is, why not? Consider becoming a church member. If not the bridge, become a member of another church that is Christ-centered, Bible-believing, and gospel-proclaiming. And friend, let me make something very clear to you. If this is not the place for you, we understand, but we are willing to help you find that place. I've said this for, the, for almost every year that I've been here, that I am willing to help you. You will not hurt my feelings. If you say, yeah, I think I need some help finding another place. There's only been a couple of people that have ever taken me up on that offer. And I did. They asked me for help. I said, here are some churches that I believe to be partners with us in the gospel. Check out these churches. Now, I put so many churches on there that they got overwhelmed. They said, I'm just going to come to the bridge. <laughs> but I mean it. Because it's about the kingdom, not just one embassy. And so guess what? When, when our other sisters in Christ, our other sister churches are doing well, glory be to God. We're praying for city life. We're praying for journeying the way. We, we want to see First E Free thrive. We want to see West E Free. We want to see First Baptist thrive. We, there is no First Baptist anymore in Wichita, but there's a First Baptist everywhere else. <laughs> That's our heart. And so if the bridge church is not your place, we, we will help you find that place. 